0: If you study manhood in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over and over and over again, men were meant to be gatekeepers. What does that mean? For fathers are stewards of character, mission, and identity. That belongs to us, guys.
1: This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lawrence. Well, happy Father's Day. Dads, we hope you have a special day in celebration of all that you mean to your family. In a moment, Crawford will share a message from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's a look at what manhood should be among those in the body of Christ. Is manhood vanishing? We'll explore that in today's message. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, missionary, seminary professor, conference speaker, and author. His books include Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Leadership as an Identity, and Unshaken. Today, Crawford heads the Christian Mentoring Initiative known as Beyond Our Generation. The messages we feature each week on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Biblical manhood. Let's head to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy.
0: We are living in an extraordinarily dangerous time, and that's not overstatement when it comes to men. Everything in the culture is going up against, and I don't mean to sound like some, some uh, powerless victim here, but everything in the culture is going against what we believe is a biblical definition and framework of what a man should be. And this is not overstatement, for what has been happening in our culture with the divorce culture that is going on today, and the disassociation, you've heard me talk about this before. Now you have several generations of men who are growing up without a positive male role model here with them to clarify expectations about what manhood is all about, then you have a, a society that, that, that is elevating, in a, in a, in a right sense, uh, in some degree, uh, the role of women, but it's gotten very confusing out there, and men don't know who they are. We don't know who we are. And the identity confusion is palpable among men. I'm very nervous for my children and my grandchildren. We're living in a culture and society that constantly redefines and and, 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 and constantly reaffirms immorality to be morality, neuters and neutralizes truth, to sanitize preferences. And eradicates all distinctions and definition as it relates to gender. And so what we're left with, what we're left with is this crazy quagmire, this confusion about what a man is. And so we're seeing a tremendous shift in society and in the culture. And so what I have to say today about manhood, increasingly this is going to be rare And yet it needs to be said. And you need to pray that there there will be a revival of healthy, balanced, biblical, gender-specific roles. Where we celebrate who we are and we're no longer confused. My biggest concern is is that evangelical churches, we, we should be leading the parade. We should be providing the definition We should be the ones that that present clarity to the argument. And one of two things is happening to us. Number one, we're just as as confused as a culture is, and we're scared to say anything in the name of compassion because we don't want to offend people. And so that little passive mindset is allowing certain things to take place. And so even believers are getting confused about who they are. The other side of that, then you have these other guys that are so truth-driven, without a sense of a heart and compassion, of grace, that, that, that we come across as some legalistic idiots who are uncaring and unconcerned. But I'm telling you, unless we speak biblically, prophetically, and directly to these things, we're in trouble. So as I talk about fatherhood, you cannot talk about fatherhood without talking about manhood. Manhood and fatherhood are like this. Manhood defines fatherhood. What makes you an effective dad is a clear definition of who you are as a man. I read a book uh, the other week that... uh, You you ever read one of these books where you absolutely loved it, but it scared you to death at the same time? I want to recommend this book to all of you. It is a novel called Fatherless. It's written by James Dobson. And the book is... uh, situated in the mid-2030s. I actually believe that, that, that Dobson has missed it by maybe five or ten years because I think what he's talking about is a lot sooner and closer. You do understand about half of all babies born today in these United States, about 50% in minority communities in African-American communities, 70% are born in households where there's no father. You do understand that, don't you? And in this book, what he's talking about is a society and a culture where men are essentially not involved in the direction of the family and the moral leadership of society. They have been relegated and marginalized. In 137 in the book, Dobson says, over the same period, however, another trend has emerged. American boys were more than happy to hand over the reins to assertive girls. Unlike their grandfathers, more and more, guys inhabited the comfortable borders of Guyland, where they formed clans of rent-sharing roommates and worked part-time jobs to protect time for climbing virtual world ladders. Uh, Later on, he explains what that means. He's talking about sophisticated video games that they spend all day long playing to avoid reality. Virtual world ladders... And sampling the endless supply of young women, offering no-strings-attached pleasure. As age ambushed millions of women, now check this out, they now sought something no guylander seemed willing to provide. A child, rather than a mate, became the life partner of choice. And ladies and gentlemen, that's true today. I cannot say this strong enough, I am literally scared to death. I'm afraid for our nation, I'm afraid for the church because we're asleep at the switch. What makes me nervous is the language that I hear from some of us even in here about these issues. And unless there is a revival, and I'll say it, I'll say it clearly, unless there is a revival. Of authentic manhood from a biblical perspective our culture and our churches are lost fathers need to step up and stop this runaway train of male passivity and it's really left up to us who are followers of Jesus Christ no no I'm not calling us to be some knee-jerk reactionaries going around cussing out the culture in Jesus name and angry and you know full of vitriol and not little radio shows and talk programs where we're beating up people that gets us nowhere i'm not talking about any of that but what i'm talking about is a passionate commitment for us to model this stuff in the context of our own families to stop being so blasted passive about leadership in the home to really step up to the reality that my family has got to tell the truth about what god's doing in human history And that I need to back up what I'm saying by producing models that's coming out of my own household of what it really means to be a healthy, non-reactionary male, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But this male passivity is killing us. It's a runaway train. Fathers are gatekeepers. That's if you, if you read, if you study manhood in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, men were meant to be gatekeepers. What does that mean? We're fathers in the Bible all the way through. Fathers are stewards of character, mission, and identity. That belongs to us, guys. That belongs to our wives. Now, the character belongs to them, too, don't get me wrong, and you have to step in. We got single parents, all that kind of stuff. My, my mother uh, never knew who her father was, and, and, and my, thank God for my grandmother, her mother, and, and extended family clarify that. I'm not talking about that, but listen, man, listen, listen, listen. We, me, we, me, we are responsible for the shaping of character, for the direction of our household, and the sense of identity. That's what a man is. We are the bridgers. We're bridge people. That's what men are in the Bible. Study the scriptures. Uh, Read Psalm 78, Uh, 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 notice the charge given to Adam, the first man, all the way through. Read the Bible. We're bridging one generation to where they need to be, and we're clarifying who they are. We're clarifying the direction in which they need to go, and we're clarifying what they need to be built on as, in terms of character. That's what a man is. That's what a dad is. I can sit down and be quiet. That's what we do. so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, extraordinary passage, very two very brief verses, Paul's giving final instructions, and I think in context, he's really asking them to stand up and take charge of the categorical chaos and nonsense that has been going on there in the church at Corinth. And listen to what he says. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and notice this. He says, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. But notice the line. You see, Paul made an assumption that we can't make today. When Paul said, act like men, he could assume that they knew what a man was. We we can't make that same assumption today. We've got to back up and kind of like, let's go back to square one and define what a man is. Because what the culture says we are, that ain't what the Bible says we are. So we got to go back and he says, I want you to act like a man. Now, what, I, want, I want you to understand something here. In the Bible, manhood is a decision. That's right. You heard me right. Manhood is not a feeling in the Bible. You, you, I, I don't feel like a man. That, that, that's irrelevant. Manhood in the Bible is not a feeling. Manhood is an objective decision. Manhood is, a, is always in a verb position. Men move. Men become something. Men don't feel their way into action. Men respond to what needs to take place. Men respond to crisis. They respond to need. They respond to whatever's out there. And so we don't sit around wondering, am I really a man? no, he says, no, I want to act like a man. Uh, this ain't PC today. <laughs> this ain't PC today. And I want to tell you, dads, if I don't get through this, I'm going to tell you something, dads. I'm going to tell you something with, your, with, your, with your, your boys, especially when they turn about 11, 12, 13 years old. And mom has got to step back and you got to get in their grill and you, you, you got to get right here with them and say, son, I don't care how you feel. This is what you're going to do. Well, I, don't, I don't care how you feel. Well, mom, I don't care what mom says. You're going to do this, this and this because you're going to learn how to act like a man. When you say I do and all hell breaks loose and, and your family has to have food on the table and you don't like that job, you don't like that issue, I don't want you shrinking back saying, I no longer want to be a man. No, you're a man. You're going to act like a man. Amen. You're going to do that. This ain't no head case. Seven characteristics. Seven characteristics. Of an effective father. Now, these are seven characteristics of an effective father, but they're also seven characteristics of a man. And by the way, women, if you're single, I want you to write this down. Because this is also the template that you need to use to find a husband. I'm serious about this. And, and by the way, these are, these, these are not earth-shattering. Y'all figured them out. You can figure them out ahead of time, but I want to give you, they're, they're profoundly simple. I don't know about profoundly, but they're very simple. The first characteristic of an affected father is, number one, he's growing. He's growing, number one, spiritually. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your gift that you need to give to them constantly is that Jesus is the top priority in your life. Jesus is number one to you. Uh, Determined to be a model of spiritual preparedness is what this implies. Look, fathers, God does not want us to be boring people. We need to be readers and learners and developers. And a dad needs to be different by the time the child turns 12 than he was when the child was three. Got to be different when they're young adults than when when they were 15. We need to adjust to their world, to learn things, to respond to them. We need to be growing people. The second characteristic of effective fathers or dads, he loves for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. I'm gonna say something that is counterintuitive. Listen to me, listen to me closely. Listen to me very closely, very closely. The core love relationship in the household is between the husband and wife. Where the husband and wife are not the core relationship in the family, they are dysfunctional parents. And let me tell you how that works. They end up with an isolated, emotionally empty wife and selfish, demanding, entitled children. Number three, the third characteristic of effective fathers: they lead. They lead. You, you might say, "Well, Carl, I don't want to be a leader. That's irrelevant. You got the job. Uh, Can I renegotiate? No. You got it. You you got it. You see, manhood is a vision of where things need to be. And our leadership, I'm not talking about the ability to structure the outcomes of the home and that kind of, that that might be done. But I'm talking primarily about spiritual leadership. Leadership is all about a clear vision of our spiritual stewardship. Ah, Asaph says in Psalm 78 verse 5, uh, it, 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 he established a testimony, meaning God, testimony has to do with the character of God. It, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law that has to do with the content of Scripture in Israel. Which, now listen, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. The word teach, there's an interesting Hebrew word. It is not the word to disseminate information. It's a passionate term. It means by all means possible, you, you, you take the character of God and content of Scripture by, by formal, informal, discipline, all opportunities, and you make it known. That's what a dad does. You see, dad, <laughs> the only reason why we exist as a dad is to get this generation to Jesus and give them the truth so that they can make it in their generation. Job done job done job done don't get it twisted number four effective fathers they connect and by connect i'm talking about a heart connection some might get upset with me using this verse because it is the primary application of this verse has to do with prophecy but I also believe the secondary application is true too as it relates to the hearts of men. I think it's interesting that the last book and the last verse in the Old Testament says this, Malachi 4, 6, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. As a man, God does not want us to be some little sawed-off Napoleon. He doesn't want us to be some egomaniac that is so insecure that there's a little reign of terror in our household and everybody scared us. That's not being a good dad. That's being an idiot. That's what he's talking about. We all, we do these things because we profoundly love our children. And I think what I'm trying to underscore here is that we, we have to commit to an unconditional love for our kids that goes beyond Performance. And I tell you, dads, and I know how hard this is because you're looking at a dude that it gets distracted. But when you are with your family, be with your family. You understand? You see, we, we, we need to give our kids more than grunts and nods. Just some random food for thought. Number five, real quickly. An effective father protects. Your kids and your wife ought to know that wherever you are, you will do whatever it takes to make sure that they are safe. Number six, an effective father provides. First Timothy chapter five, verse eight says, this is a searing verse, I want you to listen to it. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice how he links a work ethic with proof of your salvation I don't think what what Paul is saying is if if a dude is out of a job he's shrinking back from his responsibility that's not what he's saying at all there are transitions in life. There are things that we need to do. Uh, we lose our jobs. We go on to the next level on career. There are holding patterns. And I, I, would, I would suggest to you for the ride's over, many of us will be there any number of times. So he's not saying that you're unspiritual if you're unemployed or you're out of a job. He's not saying that you're derelict of your responsibility because you don't have a job, but, 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 but don't go too far. He is saying that you are intentional, you are aggressive, you're not C-minus in your search for employment. You're on top of things. You're providing the emotional assurance. You're stepping into this thing. You're not going out looking for a couple of hours and then watching ESPN all day long. You are taking charge. You're doing all that you possibly can do to make sure that needs of the family are being met. You're taking the initiative and you're being responsible. And then the final one is this. An effective father responds. And actually what I mean by that is that he serves. The only reason why you and I are head of the household, the only reason why is because we are called to outserve everybody in that house. We, we are called to translate vision to reality. We're called to remove boulders and barriers and blast stuff out of the way. We're called to put our kids on our shoulders. We're called to push them. Our joy, our joy is to see our kids flying. Dads, we're standing in the batter's box. And we will do whatever it takes to win the game. If I have to give myself up on a bunt, I'll give myself up. If I got to hit a sacrifice fly, I'll hit a sacrifice fly. If I need to hit a gapper to move the base runners over, I'll do it. And if it's at the bottom half of the ninth inning and I'm in the batter's box and I need to swing for the fences, I'm going to swing for the fences. Listen to me. You do whatever it takes for your family to be everything God wants it to be. But for heaven's sake, don't you look at strike three. If you got to go down, you go down sick.
1: A powerful reminder about the biblical role of dads. Dr. Crawford Loretz with a message titled, Vanishing Manhood, here on Living a Legacy. Here again are those seven characteristics of an effective father. Number one, he's growing. Number two, he loves. Three, he leads. Four, he connects. Five, he protects. Six, he provides. And seven, he he serves. If you joined us late in the broadcast, this entire message can be heard again on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. You can also download messages to your computer, phone, or tablet for free. We're always grateful to hear how God is using these messages in your walk with Christ. Take a moment to email livingalegacy.org. Thanks for listening. For Crawford Moritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.